Good morning. Thanks for having me back. It's good to be back with you this morning. We're going to continue in our study. Um, Thank you to the worship team this morning, uh, for all the sound folks back there, for all the work that goes into a Sunday morning. Very appreciative of that. And I was just thinking this morning, the heaviness of the times in which we live, we still have so much to be thankful for as God's people. And... uh, shouldn't neglect to give thanks to God for all the good things that he gives us. We're gathered together in this congregation in a country that still allows us to gather together corporately as the body of Christ. That's a great thing that we need to be grateful for in our hearts and express our thanks to God for such things. Um, So many things. I was thankful, uh, always thankful for my wife, but this morning I was just thinking about how my outfit is always picked out and ironed and ready to go, and uh, I just think that is a great gift, because if she wasn't there picking out my clothes, I might be here in pinstripe overalls and a stocking cap, Uh, literally. Uh, We were laughing this morning, because I, (laughs) wow, I can't believe I'm confessing this. This tie that I'm wearing was tied nearly 26 years ago, because I wore this, I wore this after Candace and I's wedding, and my dad tied it, and I will tell you, it has not been untied since because I can't tie a tie. <laughs> and, my, and my newer ties that I have in my house were tied by my oldest son. So there are lots and lots of things to be thankful for this morning. <laughs> uh, last week, we considered the Bible, what it is, what it says about itself, and some of its functions in the life of the believer. Today's message and the following three messages will be a broad overview of four particular themes that we find in the Bible. Some scholars may refer to this as the meta-narrative or the overarching story of the Scripture, if you will. Now, these themes include creation, the fall, redemption, and restoration. And this breakdown has been very helpful for to me, and I hope it will be helpful for you as well, but today we will begin with creation, which seems like a rational place for us to start. There was a time in human history when a reasonably minded person would look at the world around them, the starry heavens, the complexity and intricacy of the created order, and would assume a creator. Someone or something had to have made all of this. Last week, in fact, we discussed the truth that natural revelation is enough to make mankind accountable for their belief or lack thereof about the existence of God. In a cause and effect world, it is a reasonable thing to look at a great effect, such as the created order, and take for granted that someone or something created it or caused it. But sadly, we live in a day of non-reason and irrationality. An age that denies objective truth and can with serious expression say things like, well, that's true for you, but this is true for me. Even when the subjects are diametrically opposed to one another. So important has self-determination become that we will embrace the irrational in order to try and protect the feelings of the self. That is the death knell for understanding truth. The creation account is a very familiar passage of Scripture, and it is profound for many reasons, and it can serve as an anchor to us as believers. 
Many important doctrines find their foundation here. The sovereignty of God, mankind being created in the image of God, plants and animals being created after their kind, it says in Genesis 1. We'll talk about that briefly here in a moment. God creating the first humans, male and female. All of these things find their foundation in the first chapter of the Bible. And for that reason, I believe it is a doctrine that is attacked very fiercely by unbelievers and skeptics. And it's often discounted as a myth or a fairy story. The church has not always been as ready as she needs to be to defend this most important chapter of the Bible and sadly finds itself in internal arguments that, is, that distract from its importance. In the account, we see God's power in creation. We see God creating order. There's an entire discipline in a subject called apologetics called the teleological argument. It's a fancy, again, fancy word, teleological argument, but it's the argument for the existence of God based on order and design. Do you ever think on such things? Do you ever think about the order in which things were created that speaks to a designer that had a purpose? Very important stuff. We also see God creating with the purpose of having fellowship with mankind, a wonderful fellowship where God was present with his creation. And it's very important to consider that in Eden, Adam and Eve enjoyed harmony with God, harmony with one another, har- harmony with the animals in the garden, and also harmony with themselves. So let's turn to the scripture and consider this account. And if you would, I would have you stand for the reading of God's word. We'll be reading selections from Genesis 1, and I encourage you through the week, take a look at Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, We're going to read selected verses 1 to 5 and then 24 to 31. And if you would, remain standing for our opening prayer. But hear the word of God. Genesis chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Skipping on down to verse 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed 
that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Father, thank you so much for the many things that you give us And Father, I pray that you would help us not to neglect to give our gratitude to you for the so many things that we have. Father, our health and our ability to gather together. Father, to live in a free country. Father, for men and women of uniform who protect that freedom. Help us be thankful for all that we have and all that you've created us to be in Christ Jesus. Be with us as we examine your word this morning, that your spirit would have its effect on us. We would go out different than when we came in. Guide and direct us and form our minds in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look closer, we're going to look at the significance of the creation account, and we will consider the fact and importance of these things. God creating by his word, mankind being created in God's image, and mankind's position in creation. Those are some of the things we're going to look at here in Genesis 1. But, and first, let's consider the significance of God creating by his word. I love the song that we sang out of the gate this morning. I love when things like that happen. Uh, it just fits so well. But a quick observation lesson, if you will, in Genesis 1 while you're looking at the pages. A quick observation lesson. Let's look at chapter 1, verse 3. And God said, chapter 1, verse 6, And God said, chapter 1, verse 9, and God said, chapter 1, verse 11, and God said, chapter 1, 14, 120, 124, 126. What do we learn from this quick object lesson? Do you see a pattern there? Always pay attention when you see phrases being repeated. What is God using to create the heavens and the earth and all that is in them? What is he using? What is he doing? Word, he's speaking, and God said. So what is the significance of God creating by his word? Well, there's a couple of things that we can note here. By creating from nothing, God is not working with something that already exists. That sounds like, duh, that's exactly what it says. But it is significant. Again, $3 terms. You'll hear hear, hear scholars talk about God creating ex nihilo. It's a Latin phrase, out of nothing. It's very important. Look at verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was what? Without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. A little philosophical side note. If you're ever in a discussion with someone who's questioning the existence of God, you can ask them a simple question. Was there ever a time in the history of the universe when there was nothing It's a great question. Was there ever a time in the history of the universe when there was nothing? If so, what would there logically be now if there was nothing? Nothing. Okay? So the argument has to go something like this. They're going to have to say, well, I believe that matter is eternal. It was just always there, and then one Tuesday afternoon, some kind of lightning strike happened, and wham, bang, here we are all these millions of years later or thousands of years later, human beings feeling emotion and loving. All of that came from matter. That has to be one of their answers. Or you can say, which is the accurate response, 
There was a being who created all that we see. All right, now that doesn't get us to the God of the Bible, but it argues for the existence of a creator. But if there was ever a time when there was truly nothing, what could there possibly be now? Back on track. So be creating from nothing, God demonstrates his absolute sovereignty in the universe. And that's kind of the first point under this subpoint. By creating from nothing, God demonstrates his absolute sovereignty in the universe. Sovereignty simply means kingly power. We use the word in relation to God, meaning that there is absolutely nothing that he does not control. Creation is a powerful demonstration of God's sovereignty. Hebrews, or author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 3, verse 11, or excuse me, chapter 3, 11, verse 3, he says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. It appears the author of Hebrews was familiar with the creation account, doesn't it? When we talk about sovereignty, listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 46, 9b and 10. He says, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. That is what God says. That is the sovereignty of God on display. Do we need application of that? Well, church, the God who spoke the universe into existence by his word also sent his son to accomplish our salvation. The God who spoke the universe into existence by his word will one day sound a trumpet as his son comes to completely reconcile all things to himself. The sovereignty of God is a blessed hope. Next. The rule of God and creation of all things by his word points to the distinction between God and the creation. That's very important. We take these things for granted, but there's a whole worldview out there called pantheism. It's infiltrated our culture a great deal. Pantheism says that all is God and God is all, okay? There's a mixture of God with creation, pantheism. But that's not what we get from the Genesis account. We get God, his word, and the effect, it's very important in today's conversation, particularly to young people who are hearing my voice today, as it runs in opposition to much of what your peers and teachers or professors may say to you. Many modern ideas lean heavily on Eastern religions that teach that there's no distinction between God and creation. God is thought of as everything and everything is God. You'll hear people talk about praying to the universe. Have you ever heard that? I've seen that on social media multiple times. We prayed to the universe. I'm like, but the Bible teaches that God is both distinct from and beyond everything that has been made and that exists in the universe. The word used to describe this is transcendence. God transcends his creation because he is the creator of it. He is above it and before it. God had no beginning, but the universe did. God is self-existent. The universe and the rest of creation is not. Turn with me to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Let's tie in some New Testament passages to what we're talking about. John, chapter 1. If you're familiar with John's Gospel, you'll know exactly where I'm going here. John, chapter 1. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 3, and then also verse 14. John. Chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, and then verse 14. Listen to this. 
It sounds like John might have been meditating on the creation account. Listen to what John says at the beginning of his gospel, right at the outset. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Skip down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Wow. Now, can you imagine? Go back to that time and think how jarring this statement would have been to the original hearers and how jarring it should be to our ears today. The Word became flesh. So here we have the Apostle John introducing Jesus as the Word. The eternal logos, the creative power, the one who created all things. It says right there in John 1, distinct in person but identical in nature with the Father. That's who Jesus is. Turn to Colossians right quick, not too far away. Colossians chapter 1. If you ever want a quick book in the New Testament that talks about the exaltation of Jesus Christ, Colossians is a great place to go. Colossians chapter 1. Again, this is Paul writing first chapter of his letter to Colossae. Chapter 1, verses 15 to 17. Listen to what Paul says. Talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, Listen to this. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Wow. That is an amazing statement about who Christ is as the eternal word of God, the second member of of the Holy Trinity. Next point. Man as God's image bearer. Love this subject. So important for us, church. So encouraging. Man as God's image bearer. And I say man as in mankind, obviously, mankind as God's image bearer. It would be impossible almost for me to overemphasize the importance of this truth we find in Genesis, that human beings were created in God's image. There are only three references in the Old Testament to mankind being created in the image of God. Genesis 1.26, Genesis 1.27, and then in Genesis 9 and verse 6. And it's not abundantly clear what it means. There's not an exposition of the writer on exactly what it means that we're created in the image of God There's no full explanation. Is it related to our dominion as God created us to have dominion over the plants and the animals? Is that how we're in God's image? Is it related to dignity? Is it related to free will? It doesn't really go into that. 9-6 is clearly a reference to capital punishment. What do we find in Genesis 9-6? We don't have to turn there. I believe it's talking about um, capital punishment. And if, if man takes the life of another man... It's giving emphasis to capital punishment because why? Because man is created in the image of God. That assault on the image of God has to be dealt with in a very serious manner. 
Mankind is the only being in the universe that is said to be created in the image of God. It is of vast importance. Turn with me to Matthew 22. We're flipping a lot of pages. Matthew 22. An entire sermon could easily be preached on this passage, so I'll try to keep my eye on the clock. Matthew 22, starting at verse 15. Listen to this. The Pharisees are always trying to trip Jesus up. He makes them very nervous. He makes them very uncomfortable. They're not understanding that who he is, for one, and the message he's trying to proclaim, and they're always trying to trip him up, always. And that's what we find ourselves in Matthew 22, verse 15. Listen to what this says. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words, talking about Jesus. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, listen to this flowery language, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinions, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us. Then what you think, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Okay, the trap is set. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? That's the question they're trying to trip him up in. Yes or no, they think they've got him. Perfect question. Listen to Jesus, I love it. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? This does not mince words. Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. The things that are Caesar's. Now listen to this little phrase. And to God the things that are God's. They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And to God, the things that are God's. We should immediately ask ourselves a question. What is Jesus getting at here? Well, I think he's implying that the taxes go to Caesar. His image is on the coin. Pay the tax. But you know what else? Give to God what is God's. What is he implying? You. Give yourself to God. Because Why? Because you bear his image. The Bible presents man as having a special dignity before God. The image of God is one way of referring to this. In our sin, which we'll talk about next week, the failure to properly realize and appreciate human dignity leads to things like murder, war, and hatred. Failure to properly realize and appreciate human dignity allowed a blind eye to be turned to the horror of slave ships as they sailed the Middle Passage for the sake of greed. Failure to properly realize and appreciate human dignity allowed a crazed Austrian to promote his final solution, leading millions to the ovens of Auschwitz. In our own time, since the passage of Roe v. Wade, Decision in 1973, over 60 million unborn children who bear the image of their creator have been legally extinguished in the womb. Failure to realize and appreciate that man was created in God's image tempts mankind to gossip about their neighbor. Secularists want to talk about how far we've come as the human race. And how man is the master of his own fate. Beloved, the 20th century was perhaps the bloodiest century in human history. We consider these tragic stories and we think, how in the world can this happen? How has this happened? 
Well, it is because of the failure to understand that every human being is created in God's image. And the rebellion of man against his creator when he seeks to dominate his neighbor rather than love him as Christ commanded us. That is how it happens. Jesus, in another exchange with the Pharisees, boiled the entire law down to two commands. Do you remember this? Strangely enough, it's right here in Matthew 22, right along with with Jesus implying that man is created in God's image. There's another scuffle going on, if you will. And Jesus boils the law down to two things. What is it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And what else? What's the second part? Thank you. Love your neighbor as yourself, Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Church, in our nation today, the culture tries to make the second of our Lord's commandments stand alone. But that is impossible. You cannot try and make people assume there is no God and tell children in the school system they are simply a bunch of grown-up germs at the end of a chance evolutionary process without a creator and then say, now go love your neighbor. Our our culture kicks the foundational support system out and then wonders why the structure is falling down around us. No God, no human dignity. No God, no human dignity. God establishes human dignity in the very first chapter of the Bible. Beloved, you were created by God in his very image. Because of that, you possess dignity, and your life has a purpose. You're not here by chance. Your life matters. Your actions matter. You were fearfully and wonderfully made, the psalmist said. It's a lot to ponder. Such encouragement we can draw from that truth. Final point. Man's position in creation. Man's position in creation. What is our position in light of being created? Well, as creatures, we owe allegiance and obedience to our creator. I want you to consider a lengthy quote at this time. Uh, it's from uh, Graham Goldworthy's book. It's called According to Plan. And I'll, um, I debated whether or not to read a lengthy quote, but I timed it, and it was only a minute and 20 seconds, so I thought, I think this is worthwhile. But listen to what Graham Goldworthy has to say about this subject. He says this, considering the idea of mankind's position in creation. He says this, Modern man thinks of himself as being in charge. He sets his own pace, makes his own rules, and thanks no one but himself for progress and life's benefits. The biblical doctrine of creation challenges all of this. Everything we are and have is God's gift. The uniqueness of the human race lies not in our having developed more or survived better, but in being created in God's image. The human race is the creature of God, and this fact cannot be changed by denying or ignoring it. As creatures of God, we are totally dependent upon Him for everything. We are dependent not only on the continual rule or providence of God in nature for the production of food and other goods, But also for every moment of our existence, we draw the next breath, our heart beats the next beat, we are conscious of the next moment of our existence only because God goes on sustaining the very substance of creation. There are no laws of nature that are self-sustaining. 
If God were to withdraw for a split second his powerful word, the universe would cease to exist in that same split second. That is why man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We were created by God in his image for his purpose. In Genesis 1, the the last verse there in chapter 1, God deems his creation very good. God created it. It was good. He created mankind to live with him in relationship while tending his garden. You want to boil the creation account down to one thing for God's purpose, it was that. God created mankind to live with him in relationship while tending his garden. Man was placed in the garden to be a steward over creation. And our dominion over creation, as granted by God, is closely related to our standing as his image bearers. And church, take comfort from this this morning. Take comfort in the doctrine of creation. The same God who created this universe from nothing can certainly recreate it as he promised. Man, what hope there is in that. The same God that created mankind from the dust of the earth will one day recreate. You have any doubt about that? There should be no doubt about that. One day the trumpet will sound. One day the dead in Christ will be raised. I'll leave you with this thought and then I'll close. St. Augustine one of the great figures in church history. He was raised by a mother that strayed, or excuse me, he was raised by a Christian mother, but he strayed in his teenage years. Lived a life of sexual promiscuity and debauchery. Conceived a child with a concubine. This was his early life. So many things about uh, those in church history, even in today, even ourselves, if it causes us to thank and appreciate the grace of God, does it not? This man was a towering intellectual, and he achieved great success as a thinker and a professor, but he could not find meaning until he was converted and placed his faith in Jesus Christ. Looking back on his life in later years, he writes these words in his book, Confessions. He says this, Man is one of your creatures, Lord, and his instinct is to praise you. He bears about him the mark of death, which is the sign of his own sin, but still, Since he is a part of your creation, he wishes to praise you. The thought of you stirs him so deeply that he cannot be content unless he praises you. Now get this. For you have created us for yourself, and our hearts find no peace until they rest in you. Do you see what Augustine has his finger on? Until our relationship is right with the one who created us, we will ever be searching and never finding. Because we are creatures of God, created in his image, there is a part of mankind that always seeks to worship. But because of our sin, that has been tainted. And instead of worshiping our creator, we stumble around in idolatry so often. For you have created us for yourself, and our hearts find no peace 
until they rest in you. Church, flee to him. He has created you for himself in his very image. There is no career. There is no bit of financial success. There is no drug. There is no social status. There is no earthly thing that can fill the God-shaped void that runs through the souls of men and women. Only Jesus Christ. Do you know him this morning? If not, I encourage you to call out to him today. That same word that John introduces to, the word made flesh, if you read through the Gospels, introduces himself as one who is gentle and lowly of spirit. It's an amazing thing to think about the condescension of God the Son to come to earth, to walk this earth in the form of his own creation as man, and to, to describe himself and to say, come unto me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I am gentle and lowly of spirit. Wow, that is an amazing thing to consider today. Let's pray. Father, so much to think about. Just from the first chapter of the Bible, we are grateful to you, Father, for you have created us in your image. And Father, because of that, we possess a dignity that cannot be taken from us, even marred as it is by sin. Father, you created us in your image. I pray that we would go out encouraged, both in ourselves and, Father, in the way that we seek to treat our fellow human beings who bear your image. Convict our hearts, but encourage us, Father, knowing that you who created us can also call us to spiritual life in Jesus Christ. And through faith in him, Father, we can become a new creation. What a great thing to consider. And Father, I pray that you would help us each day, moment by moment, to consider that. We're grateful to you, Father, for all that you do for us. I pray that you would help us to keep in mind that it is each moment that sustains us, Father. We do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from our mouth. Guide and direct us, Father. Give us direction. Help us appreciate the things that we have. Help us to go from here encouraged in the truth of your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.